Welcome to Puro Politics, the political podcast of the San Antonio Express News. My name is Gilbert Garcia, and I'm joined by business editor and columnist Greg Jefferson, investigative reporter Brian Chasnoff, assistant city editor Julie Silva. Well, we had a lot of uh, a lot of interesting news in politics last week. We had um, Mayor Ron Nuremberg blocking Drake. Was it on Was it on Instagram or Twitter? Yeah. You know, Twitter. It was a Twitter. Yeah. And this was over like he, he snub, Drake snubbed the Spurs, right? Is that what, is that what happened basically yes. when he was looking at all time, like great teams? So, you know, it was, it, I think the mayor was, was justified on that one. Um, we had a, a special election district 118. We'll probably talk a little bit about that. Um, but I wanted to start with uh, one of the biggest stories in Texas last week, which was the announcement from Matthew Dowd, the former campaign strategist for George W. Bush, a former Republican who is uh, going to run as a Democrat for lieutenant governor in 2022. And uh, he's, uh, this is probably not the best news for Mike Collier, who ran against Dan Patrick for lieutenant governor in 2018 and is running again, and probably thought he had a clear field on the, on the Democratic side until last week. But uh, Matthew Dowd is, is uh, you know, someone who obviously understands a lot about political messaging. He, uh, he was not only uh, a campaign strategist, and, and he's worked for Democrats and Republicans over the years, but also was a longtime chief political analyst at ABC News. And um, we're going to listen to a little bit of his announcement video, which he put out last week. We need more officials who tell the truth, who believe in public service and common sense with common decency for the common good, and the idea of servant leadership. We need to expect more from our politicians and demand those politicians align with our values. Dan Patrick believes in none of those. And that is why I am running for the powerful office of Lieutenant Governor of this great state. Julie, I wanted to start with you. I mean, obviously he's never run for office before. And so this is gonna be, this is gonna be new for Matthew Dowd and, and uh, it'll be, we're gonna be, we're gonna learn a lot about him as a candidate versus him as a strategist. but. You know, he's basically running as kind of, as kind of a, a moderate, someone who wants to sort of uh, make the state government more more effective, more uh, I guess maybe more bipartisan. Do you do you think that there's a place out there for him, and that he could has a chance to be a viable candidate? Whew. I, I mean, we're in Texas. I'm always cynical of anyone running as a Democrat for a, a statewide. Sure office. It's just, it's, uh, it's been 30 years. So, I mean, good luck to him. Um, I do, <laughs> I just have one, and this may be the editor in me, but if you watch his campaign video, he, they didn't spell check the, the uh -huh. Sutherland Springs or just, I, there's a slide where they say Southern, talk about Sutherland Springs and yeah. didn't spell check it. And it just, I, I don't know. That just feels yeah. unprofessional and just not, not polished. And so for someone who's, who's been around, I mean, he's not, you know, he's, he's not a no name. He's not somebody who's coming out of the, he, he's, he knows what he's doing. So, sure. um, I, I guess I'd like to see a little bit more polish, uh, going, going forward. Um, but I mean, we'll see, uh, Mike Collier, he got within, what was it? 4%, 5%, yeah, uh, in 2018, uh, Matthew Dowd, he seems like he's going to be an even pretty formidable opponent. So I guess we'll see. Say he, say he wins the, the, uh, 
Democratic primary. He's the nom- nominee. I'm sure he's looking to pick up whatever few uh, remaining Republican moderates there are. <laughs> I'm sure he's looking yeah. at suburban Republican women, for example, thinking that, you know, that could, you know, you add that to the Democratic vote coming out of the you know big cities in Texas that might put him over the top. And that actually doesn't sound crazy to me. I mean, I think it's it's possible Again, like because we're in Texas, you always have to kind of preface anything about a Democrat being elected statewide as unlikely, but possible. I mean, totally. And, you know, the fact I, I think, you know, the the question is how how vehement Democratic voters are going to be in the primary. I mean, the fact that he was, uh, you know, kind of at the hip with uh, George W. Bush, mm-hmm. is that going to matter a lot? to to primary voters i don't know um you know that that part we'll see i mean mike collier um he's he's uh he's not an electrifying personality (laughs) i could yeah i think i could see matthew dowd probably outperforming him on the hustings in, in the primary sure uh so that part is is you know you know, it's kind of a it's a bit of a mystery to me how we'll do in the primary. But I think his his thinking about the general election is pretty clear. Like he's you know, he, he wants Democratic votes. He'll have them behind him and he'll be counting on Republican moderates and, and suburban women, I think. One of, the, one of the things that struck me last right. week, because Dowd was doing a lot of, you know, he was doing national interviews on MSNBC and so on. It seemed like every time he, he referred to Dan Patrick, he referred, referred to him as the cruel and craven Dan Patrick. It was almost, almost like like that was all like <laughs> part of Dan Patrick's name, the cruel and craven Dan Patrick. Um, so he's going to be like hammering that one home. Also want to mention for anyone locally yeah, yeah. who's interested, he's Matthew Dowd is going to be at the friendly spot in San Antonio Tuesday night uh, this week. So um, this is really kind of his first San Antonio visit as a candidate. Um, what do you think, Brian? Yeah, I mean, yep. First of all, echo what Julie said. That stood out to me that he uh, he misidentified Sutherland Springs as Sunderland Springs. Yeah. So get an editor, number one. (laughs) Yeah, I think. uh, Yeah, I mean, if if he's trying to appeal to moderates, I don't know how well he's doing at the moment. I mean, I I think he was quoted as saying he would love to work with a a governor Beto Mm O'Rourke, and that doesn't. That doesn't seem like it would uh, appeal to uh, independents too much uh, at this stage. But uh, you know, when it when it comes to his ties to to Bush, I, I mean, he is emphasizing that he broke with Bush over the Iraq War. Yeah. Um, of course, he's he's getting pill- pilloried by uh, Collier's people over over that very you know tie. Yeah. To uh, to that war, so I think he's uh, you know he's got to thread the needle. It's going to be tough. I think that if Collier was was a progressive candidate uh, who with, with a long history in the Democratic Party, it the race might play out differently. I, I mean, he, he, you're right. His campaign is trying to say, well, you know, Dowd was a George W. Bush guy, and he's you know he's a former Republican, and you know many people will remember that the 2004 campaign for which Dowd was the the, the main strategist for George W. Bush. I mean, one of the things that helped George W. Bush win that election was advocating for a constitutional amendment to ban gay marriage. I, I'm, I'm sure that Matthew Dowd has, uh, would say that he's evolved on that issue over the years, but it's, it's something that he'll have to hear about. 
But I think what makes it harder for, for Mike Collier to make this case in a Democratic primary is that Mike Collier is a former Republican himself. He's, he wasn't real politically active until uh, a few years back, but he basically leaned Republican. He al- almost ran for an office in, in Houston as a Republican um, and then just decided he, he wasn't really happy with the party. So and then they're, they're pretty much in sync, too, I think, ideologically. So that, that's going to be interesting. I think the thing about doubt is that he'll... He'll be able to get a lot of media attention. He already has. He, he'll probably raise money. These are sim- similar things that we said about Beth O'Rourke recently. What will be tough, I think, is that I think Dan Patrick is probably the most vulnerable of the statewide elected officials and that he's gone so far into the culture wars that there are some Republicans who are probably turned off by that. You, you have a 2022 cycle. We don't know what it's going to be like. The general thought is that it's, it's tough for the party that has a, a Democratic president uh, in office. And so um, that's going to make it tough for Democrats if that holds up. And the other thing is that if Beto O'Rourke is at the top of the ticket, you know, he's, we don't know how that's going to affect Matthew Dowd, uh, you know, in his race. So these are going to be interesting things to watch, but it, it's it's kind of a question mark at this point. I wanted to talk about uh, redistricting. We got the congressional, a proposed congressional and legislative maps last week. We're almost certainly going to see lawsuits down the line as we do uh, every 10 years when it comes to the Texas maps. But I think one of the things that stands out is that Republicans in this cycle may be sensing that the suburbs are turning increasingly blue and that they're, um, it's, it's becoming a more challenging map for them. Um, it, they, they seem to operate more in, in a defensive way rather than aggressively trying to uh, flip Democratic seats, and they're trying to protect their own incumbents. We saw, for example, with uh, Colin Allred, who's from based in Dallas, a, a congressman who's he's got a close seat. Republicans have been, you know, have, have eyed that seat for a while. Actually, I think uh, have have made that a more Democratic seat. Um, what we've seen is um, that they're just we're not going to really have a lot of swing districts if this map ends up holding up. And San Antonio's would be, I think, particularly interested with Tony Gonzalez, who th- that's been a, a, a kind of a swing district, uh, District 23. Republicans have held it for a while now, but it's been it's been close every cycle. And uh, based on, on um, the map that we're looking at, that would go from what's perceived as like a 5% leaning Republican seat to now about a 13% leaning seat. Chip Roy, whose district includes parts of San Antonio, uh, would go from about a 10% leaning Republican seat to about a 24% leaning seat. So these are both districts that were very close that Donald Trump, I think, just carried by small margins in 2020. Um, they would become much safer um, Republican seats. And, you know, we're, we're seeing some things like a new congressional seat in Austin that would just be packed with Democratic voters to be able to get some of those Democratic voters out of uh, Republican seats. You know, Greg, when you look at this, I mean, is it is it your sense that just looking at what the strategy was that Republicans are kind of coming at this um, thinking that, you know, we've talked a little bit on the podcast about how the suburbs are becoming more difficult for Republicans as, and and do you think that's, that's kind of informing what they're doing here? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that's, that's clear from the maps. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) But look, I mean, I think you have to, you know, I think you have to look at Republican map making, not, not in isolation. I mean, you've got to think about it in terms of the voting restrictions uh, they've already passed. I mean, clearly this, you know, this is a state party that's, you know, deeply concerned about its future, uh, they see the they see the shifts in the suburbs, and they're clearly scared. 
And I think that's, you know, the maps that we saw for the first time last week and the new voting restrictions reflect that perfectly. We, we also got the, the legislative uh, maps. One of the things that, that uh, caused some division among Democrats in, in, the, in Bayer County involved District 118. We had a special election in District 118 last week. This is a, a district that's kind of rooted in the south side, kind of winds around to the northeast part of Bayer County. And we had an op- uh, a vacancy there, special election. This has been a Democratic seat, but Republicans are hoping to flip it in the special election. Republican John Lujan, who did win a special election there a few years ago and held the seat for a short time, uh, performed very well in the special election. He got 41% uh, and more votes than his two Democratic closest uh, Democratic rivals. Frank Ramirez, a young former legislative aide, will meet him in the runoff. So there's there's that race going on. But Republicans are also thinking about the possibility of flipping the seat in a normal election. You saw Greg Abbott uh, putting about $31,000 into Lujan's uh, special election campaign. House Speaker Dave Phelan has, has you know, also contributed quite a bit. So they're but they're looking at the possibility of of actually like being able to flip the seat long term, and the way the process works is in, in Bear County, um, the delegation gets together, they all kind of work out the maps between them, and they su- submit one map for Bear County to the House Redistricting Committee. In this case, Democrats, at least the way they perceive it, Phil Cortez, one of their own, worked with Republican Steve Allison on a separate map, submitted that. And that map takes this District 118, which I was talking about, and takes it from about a 56% Joe Biden performance in 2020 to about 53%, makes it a much closer district. And Democrats are unhappy about it. Phil Cortez was saying you know, that he was just uh, trying to work things out with, with Steve Allison. And when you start messing with one district, you're having to, you know, you start affecting other districts. So I, you know, this is going to be a, an interesting thing to, to watch, to see how that plays out uh, and whether we're able to, to, you know, flip that one. Uh, Julie, I want to kind of get your thoughts in general about, you know, your perceptions about what uh, these maps are showing us and what the Republicans are trying to do. Well, I, I was over at the the Corpus Christi Caller Times, oh man, what, 2012, 2013, when they mm-hmm. were talking about, you know, the the last time we went through this process and um, Blake Farenhold's district, uh, District 27, mm-hmm. I think, was one of those ones that was very controversial. And they ended up, um, the, the courts ended up uh, uh, sending it back, telling them to redraw it. But I mean, these maps come out now, this is going to be we're talking about years of discussion (laughs) (laughs) where they are now. They're not going to, I mean, they're not going to end up, they're not going to end up there. Um, even just by the time they, they get approved, get on Abbott's desk, but, um, the the Democrats are going to take it to court. It's going to get, you know, there's going to be some adjustments. Yeah. And, and part of that, uh, is the, the fact that we have a scheduled, runoff election in March, and it's almost certain that that's not going to happen. That is, that, that date is going to get pushed back uh, a couple of months. I'm always reminding people that we probably wouldn't have Senator Ted Cruz if not for the fact that he ran in in the first election cycle of, the, of that decade, which was a decade ago. And the primaries got pushed back. He was running against David Dewhurst for the U.S. Senate in the Republican primary, and he he bought himself a couple of extra months and was able to catch up to Dewhurst. I think so. These all, all these things can be affected. I think by um, the, you know the, the the schedule that we have by uh, all the controversy over redistricting. 
before we wrap things up, I wanted to talk a little bit about um, the passing last week of someone who I, I think I think would be fair to say was, is a legend in local journalism, Roddy Stinson, who was a columnist for the Express News uh, for more than thirty years. Uh, he retired in two thousand eight, um, and is, you know was one of the kind of a singular voice in San Antonio when it when it came to writing about about politics and and you know the local community. Uh, Greg, I think you worked with with Roddy for the for the longest time and probably knew him the best you know what are what are your what are your memories of Roddy I love that old man (laughs) 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 he was he was I mean he you can't imagine a more welcoming presence in in the newsroom for young reporters so I mean I you know I started uh, at the Express News in 2001 and I was covering City Hall not long after that, around 2003. And I've been reading uh, Roddy's columns ever since I arrived in San Antonio. And, you know, it's just like his voice was incredible. Like he's just, he's, he's a, he was a really sharp writer. You never wanted to be his, his target. <laughs> I mean, he was, he, he had this way of lacerating you in print that was just uh, delicious. It was great. Uh, but all of that said, and, you know, he was, he was very much, um, you know, if there was if there was any kind of uh, city hall consensus on just about anything, he was against it. Like he was he was a great <laughs> contrarian, uh, and he came down. You know, he came down against a lot of uh, programs that were really popular at city hall. Uh, he was also like really well known for his opposition to PGA Village. We tend to forget how big a deal that was. Mm-hmm. 20 years ago, but they were talking about building this massive golf complex over the aquifer. And he, you know, both he and Rick Casey fought that yeah. vehemently. Uh, he wrote, you know, Roddy wrote a lot of really sharp columns about that. So, you know, I'm reading all of this. I'm learning how to cover city government and local politics. And I, I approached him and it was terrifying. Honestly, the first time I went to his office, because I'd never, I'd never had any kind of interaction with him before one-on-one. So I was, I was expecting this jerk <laughs> whose, <laughs> whose knowledge I wanted, Yeah, but he was the nicest man. Like he was, he was everybody's grandfather in, in the newsroom. Uh, just, he was, he, you know, he nurtured a lot of young talent. He was, he was like a truly gentle soul, uh, who was just incredibly sharing with sources, insights. Uh, mm. you know, he would, uh, you know, he would, critique your writing and it would be honest about it um, and say, well, you know, this is what I would expect anybody to say. It's not necessarily the most interesting take you can have on any given situation, Hmm. but you know, whatever. Yeah. So he was very gentle about it, but he got his point across. Um, And he's just, you know, we just have too few, uh, too few characters like that in, in journalism these days. I mean, I always, I always thought that Roddy was probably the most, one of the most perfectly aligned columnists with, with his readers. Like he had a really close bond with, with, you know, San Antonio express news readers, most of them, um, you know, people, they're kind of, you know, they're kind of in the middle. Um, they're skeptical of Mm -hmm. a lot of government spending. You know, they're not sure if they agree with everything that's being done in their name by politicians. And, you know, Roddy was, his column was their home. Um, you know, they, you know, they were known as Roddy's Rangers and they were for real. <laughs> I, 
I've met a lot of them over the years. There were thousands of Roddy's Rangers. He was, you know, he, he was a, he was a great columnist in that respect. And like he, you know, we just don't have a voice like his in yeah, San Antonio yeah. right now, and that, I think that's too bad. One of the things I wanted to ask you because I think that, and I'm I'm, I'm someone who. I lived in San Antonio in 91 for a while. And then I, I left and came back in 2002. And so I was here maybe for the later years uh, of his, his tenure at the Express News. But I, I think that, you know, Roddy, the, the, the political labels, you know, they often don't really, don't really cut it. But I think that, that maybe the, the, the perception of Roddy, maybe particularly in his later years was that, you know, he was a political conservative, but it, it, it's interesting because, you know, Bruce Selkraig in his, in his uh, piece about him, wrote about how Roddy was, you know, very critical of like the English only movement that happened in the nineties and said that, you know, that many people who call, call themselves political uh, conservatives are really just like bullies. And, uh, and there, there, you mentioned that he was against PGA village, which I think was something that probably had a lot of business support at the time. So, I mean, when you look at him politically, was, I, would do you, how do you see him? I mean, was he just maybe, uh, hard to categorize in some way? He was. He was definitely hard to categorize. Uh, I think he became more conservative uh, in his later years. Uh, but he was always a contrarian, you know, and he was, you know, he, he was a guy who you don't hear too many people talking about the establishment these days. It's, it's kind of a dated <laughs> term, but it, it's for real. I mean, it's, you know, they're talking about, you know, by establishment, we mean, um, you know, kind of the business political consensus, the chambers of commerce, major developers, city hall politicians, county government politicians, all kind of in agreement about how the city should grow. Uh, and he he came down against a lot of that. That's why, I mean, it's, you know, it's important to keep in mind that like in the 1970s, Roddy was actually one of the early champions of COPS Metro. Mm. <laughs> I mean, you know, you wouldn't, wow. you wouldn't think it, but he yeah. was. And that's yeah. because, you know, they, this was a direct challenge to the, to the control of the chambers of commerce, kind of the business political establishment. And he was all for it. I mean, I think he became disenchanted with the organization later as it, you know, as it worked with, you know, city council to, you know, basically enact, take over uh, Project Quest, uh, mm -hmm. you know, in the value of that agent this is it's a job training job training agency that's gotten city money almost some, i think probably since its inception and it was um, created in conjunction with business leaders like tom frost in the city and mm -hmm. cops metro i think that i think it was a little disenchanted with that mm -hmm. um but still i mean it's important to remember his starting point with cops metro it tells you a lot about how he approached kind of major issues and institutions kind of a populist in some way, maybe. Um, he, yeah. Now, I, the, the, the last thing I wanted to ask you about, him is because Bruce Selkraig uh, mentioned in his piece that I think the, the thing that Roddy was most proud of from his time at the Express News was his effort to get a referendum on the ballot, which passed easily, that would freeze property taxes for um, mm -hmm. people 65 and over. And I, I didn't know if you had any recollections of that of that campaign or, 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 you know, Roddy's work on that. No, not really. I mean, I'm, it's not surprising to me at all. I mean, if, if you look at property tax freezes like that, it, you know, the, the real world effect is pretty negligible. I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't do that much. I understand yeah. totally why Roddy 
was was in favor of it. Yeah. I mean, he was he was always a seniors champion. Yeah. Even before he was a senior himself. And, you know, he's he's not a big fan of the property tax. But who is? And that way, like he, you know, he shared a lot with his readers yeah. and, you know, kind of a, you know, dislike of property taxes would be would be one of those things they really, really agreed on. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's that's uh, kind of a un- an issue that can unite people. Well, um, went to uh, thank you all for listening. I hope everyone out there is doing well and uh, we're going to be back next week. Take care. Thank you. Thank you.